As we're going through the Gospel of Luke, it's always a privilege to turn our attention and open God's Word. I love getting to study God's Word and prepare for these times. So any part of the preparation for this passage you're going to see in a minute. You know, I'll read different commentaries, read what other pastors said, and other pastors, other churches, I saw they did this passage, and the sermon series was Difficult Hard Sayings of the Bible. Oh, cool, 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 cool. That'll, that'll be fun. So it's this wild passage, but here's the deal. So I'm reading this wild passage in study, and then I get a guy coming to my office this week, and it's reading this kind of crazy wild passage that is kind of the genesis for him coming to the Lord. And it kind of led me back, and I stepped back in worship. All of this is God's word, and all of it is powerful, and I hope you experience some of that power this morning. So let me read, and please follow along as we turn and open the Gospel of Luke. Now, this is Jesus. Now, he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So clearly the passage you use when trying to lead somebody to Christ, like I think you could all see that. So I'm going to read some more in a little bit, but as I see kind of setting up this passage, what I see Jesus doing is he is forcing us to decide who he is. You must deal with Jesus in light of his life, what he did, particularly the supernatural things that he did, you have to decide, okay, what is going on here? And so this morning, I want to let you know your choices. Everybody has to deal with Jesus. What your choices on how to deal with them are, and then help you hopefully make that right decision. But here's the deal. You have to decide. That's what's happening here. Jesus is showing. He has power over demons. Jesus is doing all kind of miracles. And then some people respond and go, the reason he can cast out demons is he's with Satan. He's using the power of the devil. Which, here's the deal. I think that's the wrong choice, obviously, but it's at least logical. So as you look at the supernatural things Jesus did, you have to decide, how did that happen? If you're out with somebody and you watch them walk on water, you got to figure out, okay, how did that happen? I mean, Jesus walked on water. He rose from the dead. At the end of that, you must decide, and here's your choices. Because of the miraculous supernatural life of Jesus, Jesus is either divine or demonic. Those are your two choices. Pick. What is Jesus? 
Those are the only two logical choices. You see this last verse? Jesus takes every other option about him away. Whoever is not with me is against me. Any other vote you want to cast, any other opinion you want to say about Jesus, Jesus says, if you are not throwing in with me that I am divine of God, the Son of God, anything else, you're saying you're against me. You are making yourself my enemy. It's like in politics. I like to bring up politics because I just like to make people feel uncomfortable. Like, what's he going to say? I swear you better not talk about Chill out. I'm not going to talk politics. But just this idea of you got to cast your vote. You know, man, you kind of sit down in the booth and, okay, what is the ballot? And here's your choices. Now, hypothetically speaking, you ever go to vote and you didn't like either of the choices? And so what do you do? You, like, write in a vote, like, oh, no, Mickey Mouse. <laughs> and so you send that in. And Jesus says, look, there are no write-in votes here. You're either casting in and saying, yes, you are divine. Any other thing you want to write in, well, Jesus, he's a good teacher. Oh, Jesus is just a good example. He's just a great, you know, he's a good religious teacher like other religious teachers. Any other vote in that, Jesus says, that is a vote against me. You're my enemy. That's pretty heavy, but you need to understand, you have to decide. Because he did, you know, supernatural things, there's something more than just kind of nature going on. How is this happening? Is it divine or demonic? And yet we try to go with the third option. But the thing is, that doesn't exist. Jesus takes that option off the table. There's the right choice, the wrong choice, and then all these other foolish options that don't make sense. If you look at the historical reality of what Jesus did, any of those other things are incoherent with history. They don't make sense. They're foolish. At least to say Jesus moved by the power of demons, albeit wrong, at least it's coherent. At least it's logical. So there's the right choice. Jesus moves by the very finger and power of God. And then people watching Jesus' miraculous life say, okay, he rolls by the prince of the demons. That's Beelzebub. It's just a name for Satan. And Jesus, to sum up his response to that is, chow, please. Like, you know, he didn't say that, but that's basically what he said, chow, please. Like, you know, they go, you're, you're doing this by demons. And he goes, by demons? Are you serious? Like, I'm, you're watching me defeat demons. All right, Jesus didn't say chow, please. I get that. But here's the deal. You're watching me defeat demons. How can I be demonic? That doesn't make sense. And that's when he started talking, right, about a house divided against itself will not stand. If I'm of demonic origin, then my entire life makes zero sense. You ever think, it made me think of like movies, you know, particularly like a spy movie or a war movie. You know, people like change, you know, the uniforms. And then these people, there's this big encounter and you don't know who's who. Like are these people for us or against us? And they're all, you know, guns are drawn trying to figure out, okay, they're for or against us. You know the dead giveaway every time to find out they're against you? They start shooting at you. That's the dead giveaway. Like, oh, hey, 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 I think they're against us. They're shooting the gunsies, so I think that they're probably the other side, okay? Like, once they start shooting at you, dead giveaway. Because you don't shoot your own people. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. If I'm demonic, I wouldn't be shooting my own demons. That doesn't make sense. So that's... That's the wrong choice, but at least it's coherent. But what do we do? We go with all kind of foolish choices that doesn't make sense with who Jesus is, his ministry, and his message. 
And I want to kind of talk about how we can avoid some of these foolish choices. And I want to look at that as we watch people react and interact with Jesus as Jesus is forcing, you know, just like decision time. And you always see that. It's like, you know, each vote was like decision 2016. And there's always like a cool graphic and they always have like a cool noise. Like decision 2016. Like that's what Jesus is doing. It's like Jesus' decision. So as you decide, I want you to look at how people make all these foolish decisions about him. So let's read a little further. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and it brings seven other demons more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And he, said these, and he said these things. A woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So you see in the midst of this, as Jesus is saying, look, you got to decide, am I divine or demonic? And all these people fall into kind of these foolish traps of kind of pinning Jesus and writing in these other votes. And I want to kind of walk through some of these options and tell you, I think, why they're foolish and why they fall short. First, in response to Jesus, is you're just going to be a fan of his, and your write-in vote is, man, he's a good teacher. You ever hear that culturally, that, you know, I, I'm not necessarily a Christian, but I like his teaching. Anybody ever hear that said about Jesus? Raise your hand if you've heard that. Jeez, I don't know, you got this, it's not just for show. <laughs> right? You hear this all the time. Oh, I'm a fan of his, he's a great teacher. That's our write-in vote for Jesus. But that falls way short. You see this, and this is kind of shown by the woman in the crowd. Jesus is teaching, and she yells out, you know, blessed is the womb from which you came and the breast from which you nursed. Couple things to say about that. One that's interesting, I came from a tradition that venerated Mary and blessed the Virgin Mary, and you see that happening to Jesus, and you see Jesus' correction of that, which is kind of interesting. Two, as a church, look, here's the deal. We try to be opening. We try to be open. All are welcome here. But I just want to be clear. Anybody that screams out in my teaching about my mom's womb, you're out. You're go I told the deacons, like, you're getting the hook. Nobody talks about my mom's womb in the middle of my sermons. It's just jacked up. It's weird. You don't need to talk about my nursing situation. That's it. We all got to draw lines. But here's the deal. Because what's happening here, right? She's a fan. He's a great teacher. Oh, man, blessed are you. You're so wise. And Jesus corrects. Because here's the deal. Jesus doesn't need fans. That famous book. He wants followers. 
He doesn't want you to just be impressed by his teaching. He wants you to be fully possessed by him and surrendered to him, all right? He doesn't need your applause. He needs your obedience. And there's a big difference. That's a foolish choice to just stay in that place and just say, yeah, I'm a fan of Jesus. I think he's he's a great teacher. Jesus clearly corrects that. Look, I don't need your applause. I need your obedience. I need your worship. That is not nearly enough, and it's a foolish choice to just stay in that place. That's one camp. You see, another camp is kind of this idea of the moralist. Now, remember the story Jesus teaches about the demon who kind of leaves the house, and what happens? That house is a picture of somebody's life. What happens? It says the house was swept and put in order. Jesus paints a picture of us as somebody getting their life together. Now, the moralist, what's their vote for Jesus? He's just a great example. Great example to follow. Anybody ever heard that? Raise your hand if you heard it. Okay, right? He's just a great example. The way he loves, I want to follow that example and love like Jesus. We try to write in that vote. But clearly, that falls short as well. What does he say in this situation about this person who's trying to get their act together apart from God and just following his example without his power? That's the person you're worse off than the guy who was demon-possessed because your issues, the demons you're going to life, are going to come back in full force, and you'll be far worse off. And I see this all the time. People come back to church. Why? i got to get my act together. You look at your life, and i got to clean my life up. But Jesus says there's something way more to him and who he is, what he came to do in your life, than just getting you to get your act together, clean you up. There's more to Jesus. There's more to what he came to do. Of course I want you to kind of get some bad things out of your life. Who wouldn't? But Jesus came, and he was more than just getting you to clean up your act. And if that's you, you came here because Jesus is a good example, and you're trying to clean up your act, it's never going to work. Jesus says you are in grave danger, if that's you right now. That apart from God, you're going to kind of just become the person that you know you should be because you know your house is a mess and you're going to get in order. Don't do that. That's dangerous, and that right in vote of I'm just here to get Jesus' example, you're in a dangerous place. That's kind of the moralist camp in response to Jesus, the good teacher. Similar to that is the pragmatist. Now, this story that Jesus tells, I want you to notice. You know, this house that the demons leave What happens? I mean, he gets some freedom from those demons. He's getting his life together. There's some movement in his life. And again, I'm sure this sounds familiar. Like, hey, it works for them, so I don't judge. Raise your hand if you ever heard that before. We've all heard that. Put all your hands up. Right? Hey, who am I to judge? It works for him. It was working for this person as well. Got some, you know, freedom from their demons. They're making progress. They're just kind of getting their life together. And that's what we tell people. Man, you need to get your act together. Listen, Christianity is so much more than just practical at works. I'm sure you've heard that too. Well, even if it wasn't true, I'd still do it because it's, you know, does good things for me. That's not biblical Christianity. Christianity isn't true because it works. It works because it's true. I've heard it put that way. And there's a big difference Because the deal is, a lot of things can work. You know, whatever kind of different meditation you want to get into, they can have some positive influence in your life. I'm not saying all these other different things in your life can't provide some positive movement. You know, the problem is, 
It doesn't solve the real issue. You're just symptom controlling some of the anxiety in your life. And whether that's Eastern meditation or whether that's substances you're turning to, relationships, whatever it is, just because it seems to be working a little bit doesn't mean it's right. I did intense air quotes. That was almost Chris Farley like, working. I live in a van. I didn't mean to be like, so, you know. (laughs) But that's the deal. Look. You can't just be a pragmatist and say, well, yeah, Jesus works for me. Jesus is just here to help me. And whatever helps you, that's fine. There's something more to him. And just being a religious pragmatist to whatever works, it doesn't make it right. And again, that's the person that Jesus says, you're worse off than when demons were running your life. The last camp, and I think one of the more common camps that we deal with is the agnostic. The agnostic camp, remember the people, all these were people in the story. Remember, they're the ones, Jesus, they go to him and say, hey, we keep seeking a sign from him. Show us another sign. Give us more proof. This is the agnostic that wants to say, I don't like the divine. I'm not ready to say that. I don't like the demon, so I'm just not going to vote. There's not enough proof. I mean, these are the cynics. And I can come after this camp because that was me. I mean, these are the people that say, I don't know why you always got to be judging me because I only believe in science, you know? You see Nacho Libre? <laughs> yeah, me neither, right? You know, like, that's this camp. Oh, I just need more proof. This is interesting because I want to dive into this one because Jesus spent a lot of time on this. They're the realists. If I just had more proof, do you know how many times in my life I prayed this? God, you just show me one miracle. You show me one miracle and I'll believe. If I could just see what they saw, you show me a little bit more proof, and I'll believe. The famous atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell was asked this. If you stand before God, what would you tell him? He'd say, not enough evidence, not enough evidence. These are the crew that don't vote on Jesus because they're not sure because they don't have enough proof. And if you're looking at me today saying, man, that's me, I don't have enough evidence, Jesus' answer is clear. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. He said, we need a sign. We need more proof. And let me unpack to you why you're kind of fooling yourself a little bit. Miracles, more proof is not the answer. No amount of proof in your life will overcome an unwillingness to believe. Take that to the bank. It doesn't matter how much proof you get. And here's the deal. Here's why I know that just more miracles and more proof and more signs won't do it for you. Think of the context that this was all set up. Jesus just healed a mute and exercised the man. Like, give me more proof. Talk to the deaf guy. You can talk to him now. You're welcome. (laughs) Like, what do you mean more proof? Didn't you just watch me heal that guy? Like, what, what do you mean more proof? This blew my mind. This is in the Bible. Jesus, I mean, the greatest proof, the greatest miracle ever done has to be the resurrection, right? And so Jesus dies, is buried, Three days later, he comes back to life. People were staring at the resurrected Jesus. And it says, some did not believe, some doubted. Miracles are not the answer that you think it is. Proof is not the answer that you think it is. Why? You can always explain it away. You can always explain it away. Oh, that's just medically unexplained, or that's just an anomaly, or that didn't really happen, or I was just hallucinating that. It kills me. How many times in my life I've watched, as Jesus said, the finger of God move, and I explained it away? Well, you can always do that. Proof isn't the answer you think it is. You think, and here's the, remember the two examples he gives 
It's Jonah and the Queen of the South. So Jonah, the famous prophet, they get swallowed up by a whale, and then he goes and preaches, and they repent. The Queen of the South, that's a true story in the Old Testament. Solomon was such a wise king that she was able to see the divine wisdom, and she was drawn to God by the wisdom of a king. And here's the deal, what he's saying. I know you have enough, because people that have had less than you have had enough to repent. Something greater than what they had, you have, and for them it was enough. If people could repent from far less, then you can surely have enough to repent with far more. I mean, these examples, like, keep in mind as well, like, they would still take a step of faith. So Jonah, the famous story of swallowed by a fish. Keep in mind, it's not like the whole town was on a beach vacation, you know, down at the water and saw this happen. They still had to believe him. It's not like everybody saw this. Like, they're all just down at the beach one day, and this dude just, like, gets spit out of a whale, like, repent. I just came out of a whale. We're like, dude, we're cool. We're in. Yeah, we, we're in. I believe you. Whatever you say, I believe you. They didn't see him get spit out by a whale. If I came to you today and said, hey, I was, I was just inside of a whale for three days, and I'm here to tell you, you know, you should follow Jesus. You'd be like, there's a rehab, like, right down. They still had to believe him. Like, so even that, it's not the proof. People with far less than you had repented. You know how I know you have enough. You ha- they had Jonah, and Jonah was enough. We have greater than Jonah. I can promise you, you have enough because you have the message of Jesus, and Jesus is always enough, Period. If you have heard the message of Jesus, his death and resurrection, you have enough. People from a wise king came to God. People from an unfaithful, inferior prophet came to God. We have the Son of God. So I think that's how we fall into so many just foolish choices. You in that camp, all of these are a vote against Jesus. So I want to help you make the right choice. Making the right choice of understanding truly who Jesus was, was he divine or demonic? A huge part of understanding the man is understanding his mission. Because all of these, the mission, oh, he just came to teach. He just came to give me a good example. He came to help me. All of those fall short. As we unpack these stories that Jesus talked about with the strong man in this house that is swept up, we get a picture of what Jesus is telling us, what he really came to do. I think this verse in Colossians really unpacks and is a great picture of what these parables are trying to teach us. Listen to this. You who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is what Jesus came to do. Did he have great teaching to follow? Of course. Was he the perfect example for us to follow? Of course. But what did he came to do? He came to disarm the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. That's the picture Jesus is giving us with the strong man who is ruling over this palace and the stronger man who defeats them. Do you understand what's going on there? You know, find yourself in the story. You're neither of those men. 
You are the vulnerable house that is at the whim of powers greater than yourself. The strong man in this story is Satan. Satan is in control of this world and in control of your life. Jesus said, I'm the stronger man that came to dethrone Satan and the powers that keep you oppressed. That's what I'm about. Of course, follow my example, but understand what I came to do is disarm the rulers and authorities to put them to open shame. Do you remember the beginning of Luke, Jesus' announcement of his ministry? He didn't say, behold, I have come so you know what a good person is and what good people do. He said, I came to set the captives free. I came to give liberty to the people that are oppressed and trapped in their sin. I came to free slaves. That's what I'm here to do. Anything short falls way short of understanding Jesus and what he came to do in your life. I love it. I heard it put this way. Jesus didn't come simply so you could have a moral reformation. He came to give you a spiritual revolution. You need to understand the reality of these stories and what Jesus is offering. It's more than just an example. He's saying that thing you can't rid yourself of, that thing that keeps you enslaved to, I came to break the bonds of that so you can have freedom. You want to make the right choice of who Jesus is? Put yourself in the right camp. You're not a fan. Don't be a pragmatist. Don't just be a religious moralist. Who are we? You find yourself in the right camp that you're dead. You are helpless to overcome your sins and your vices in your life. The picture of these two strong men, it is a military overthrow. That's a strong man in a palace ruling over a kingdom, and a greater ruler overthrows him. That means in this story, you got until you see yourself as a prisoner, as a slave to your vices, you're never going to really come to grip, grips with who Jesus is. That's why I love AA. They get this principle. Why finally people experience freedom. They said, look, I'm powerless. There are forces greater than me. And until you get to that place that you're not just going to become the person you know you should be and be that better man and overcome that addiction and stop doing this and stop looking at porn and stop drinking and start giving and start doing, you can't white knuckle your way through all those things. And that's what Jesus came to do, to offer you a spiritual revolution to set you free. And this is where someone, it was so beautiful, that's where I took him to this passage. A guy comes and he sits in my office this Thursday. And he was this empty house. The spiritual reality is Jesus, the stronger man, defeated Satan. But you still need to respond to that. It doesn't make you just free of all those things. So this guy's sitting down in my office Thursday, and he's a bit of a wreck. And he's like, look, I'm trying to turn my life around. You know, I've kind of got this out of my life and I stopped smoking and I stopped sleeping around and I'm, I'm a mess right now. I'm still riddled with anxiety. It's not working. And instantly as he began to talk about his life, I knew God was moving. I'm like, man, we're going to Luke 11. <laughs> and I read this story of the man that this demon leaves him and he's trying to sweep his house, put his house in order and then he's worse off than before and he's like, man, that's crazy, because that makes so much sense. I'm like, bro, that's your life. And we both knew it. We both knew it was true. The fun part from that, so I read that, and I read the, you're worse off than before. And he goes, 
what's to say next? Like, what do I do? I'm like, I got you, I got you. <laughs> the spiritual reality, Satan has finally been defeated. That's what Jesus came to do. The opportunity for you to be free of those things that enslaved you, whether those are literal demons or personal demons, is offered to you. The picture of the demon that leaves this house empty. You know what the problem is? When those demons come back, the house is empty. The strong man offers you freedom, but to sit there and tell him, you need to ask that strong man to enter your house. You don't need to be a better person. You need Jesus to fill you. You don't need, Jesus didn't come to show you all the things you should do. He came to do the thing you couldn't. You need to surrender and say, all right, I can't beat it. I can't overcome these. Would you come into my life? The response to the reality of who Jesus is and what he came to do must be responded to. The response is to be filled by him. So many of us are in that worse place than before. Because we're still trying to overcome these things on our own. And Jesus said, that's why I came. Do you understand Jesus is the son of God, came to defeat the powers of evil that have enslaved you and kept you in bondage? But have you responded to that? That stronger man, have you invited him into your home and asked you to fill him and to sit in my office just three days ago? To pray this prayer and then to sit with now a brother in Christ and to hear him say, like, this is crazy. To experience the full presence of God come into my life. Man, now we're starting to understand. That's what Jesus came to do. You need to understand who Jesus is. You have to decide. Is he divine or demonic? And if he is divine, you opened your life to him? Are you allowing him to do what only he can do in your life? That is my hope for you this morning. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I'm so convinced of how little my prayers, how small my prayers can be at times. God, because I have pray small prayers, because I have a small view of you at times, that you're just here to help me, and you're just here you know, to give me a good example. God, we, we know those things are true. But God, would you, by your Spirit, expand our view of you. Help us to understand that your Son is the Son of God. He came to give us more than an example. He came to overthrow the strong man, to set us free, to bring liberty to the oppressed, freedom to slaves. God, I pray this morning that people would experience that freedom, that they would know you are who you say you are, the Son of God. God, would we welcome you into our lives? And we would ask, it's not just enough to know that, but would you fill us? that we would follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.